Welcome to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Mercier. Louise is a nutritional therapist, award-winning author of How Food Shapes Your Child, and a presenter on Early Years TV Food Channel. As well as all this, Louise is the force behind the Health Kick, promoting a healthy lifestyle without the contradictory and often misplaced advice in the world of nutrition. Hello and welcome to my take on the trick or treat theme. With me, your host, Louise Messia. So it's turning a bit autumnal, um, particularly here in the UK, where we're starting to feel that change in season for the for the cold coming in most definitely. So I wanted to look at bringing in a bit of the seasonal foods, which are wonderful at this time of year, but also a bit of a Halloween theme. I know not everybody likes Halloween, so it's it's not about ghosts and ghouls, but it's about the food and brain connection. So that's my take on the trick-or-treat theme. What I want to look at is why we associate some foods as treats and what does that do with our relationship with food in the terms of the food and brain connection. And also just what does that do for our adult eating habits? So with me, it's always about what can we do and shape in children to prevent health issues and relationships with food that are not quite so good, which I see all the time with adults. So how can we stop all of that by getting it right in the first place with children? So trick or treat, the food and brain connection. So that is our theme for this month. So as I say, why do we see some foods as treats and how does that actually affect our mood? How does it affect our food choices going forward? And then the most important thing for me, what impact does that have on our future eating habits? So when we look at certain foods for children and, and sort of call them certain things and have certain connotations around them, what is that doing for their future eating habits? So that's what we're going to be looking at. So what is a food treat? Now, I have many conversations with people around what they consider to be a food treat. So I know that I can't hear you, but what would you consider to be a food treat? If you, if I was to say to you, what is a food treat? What would you think? Oh, this, this one thing. And then I want you to think, why is it that one thing? Why is it that one thing that you think is a treat? What is it that associates that thing with being good to you? And how does it make you feel? And then obviously I'm going to look at children. So when I often have conversations around children's perception of treats, it's around sweets. But really, why do children like sweets? Because of adults. A child doesn't know what a sweet is. A child has no idea what a sweet is until an adult introduces it to them. So we've got to remember as adults our role in shaping the future health habits and the future eating habits of children. And that is a really big thing when it comes to what we as adults think of as a treat and why. And then we pass that on to children so that they then associate that food as a treat. Now, I'm not anti-fun when it comes to food. I think food is great. And I think everybody should enjoy food, have a healthy relationship with food and not deny themselves the things that they want. So I'm not out to have you know, everybody being completely sugar-free and being vegan and dairy-free and gluten-free and, you know, basically not eating a lot. I'm not out to say to anybody what you can and can't eat. I'm out to make the links between why we do things a certain way and what impact does that have and the food language and the food terminology and our perception as adults and how we pass that on to children. So when it comes to food as treats, 
A child has no idea of a food treat until an adult introduces it. Now, when we think of food as a treat, there's normally one primary ingredient that comes up again and again. So not everybody has a sweet tooth, but a lot of the time when people are thinking of food as a treat, it's something that is sweet. So it could be sweets. Adults sometimes still like sweets as a treat. It could be biscuits, it could be cake, it could be pastries, it could be savoury things, but you'd be surprised at how much sugar goes in savoury things, particularly processed things. So the primary ingredient normally associated with a food treat is sugar. Now, there's a very big reason why that's the primary ingredient that people associate as a food treat. And this is where it links us with our food and brain connection. So what does sugar really do to our brain? And how does it make us see that food as being such a treat? And is it really a treat when we break it down? There is actually a whole episode on sugar and children's health because it's such a big subject and it has such a big impact on children in terms of their health today, their concentration today, their attention and focus and their future health and actually their future IQ is also linked to the sugar consumption in childhood. So we're going to have a whole episode on the role of sugar and health but for now we're just going to look at the pleasure and reward impact of sugar. And our food and brain connection when it comes to pleasure and reward is what brings us back to those food treats, what we see as a treat, why we crave them, when we crave them, and how we feel when we can't have them. And that's all to do with a certain element of our brain activity that goes on, dopamine. So you may have heard of dopamine. There's, um, there's now, it's now linked with weight loss in many ways. So there's now you can get cookbooks around the dopamine diet, et cetera, et cetera. When I talk about dopamine in terms of nutrition, it's to do mainly to do with sugar and it's mainly to do with the pleasure and reward receptors in our brain. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter and it's a neuro, which basically neurotransmitters are messengers. So the brain's chemical messengers, sends messages around the body. Dopamine is a key neurotransmitter involved in addictive behaviours. The addictive behaviours when it comes to food can be varying between people and some people with an extreme reaction, and a lot of people do have this with sugar, with an extreme reaction to sugary foods will really need a physiological need for a sugary food. And I see this in children, but that's what we need to start preventing in children, where they need something. So when we see big advertising campaigns about what we're going to remove sugary children's snacks from the checkout because children can't walk past them without having some form of response. Now, for many, they would say they're being naughty because they see these foods at the checkout and they want them. And they're having a response because they're probably being told, no, you can't have them, or we're loading the conveyor belt, no, you can't have them, not now, etc. But that child is having a response to an addiction. So moving those sweets from the checkout may stop the parent or nanny or childminder or grandparent at that time having that, that sort of meltdown, if you like, but it won't take away that child's biological response when they see it. So that's the addictive tendencies that come. So it could be a sensory stimuli such as seeing a product 
So you see something and it's like, oh, I, I want it. I need it. You know, I, and then you, you do actually need it because all sorts of triggers have gone off biologically. So you're not just being greedy as an adult or, or naughty as a child. It's a biological response. And that's where our responsibility as adults feeding children lies in terms of making sure that we're not feeding any addictive tendencies in the young that will go with them into adulthood. So there's lots of research around dopamine and addiction and sugar and addiction. But sugar provokes the same dopamine response as a class A drug, as cocaine. Now, obviously, we say that and it's like, oh, you said that, you know, and it's really dramatic. But sugar provokes the same dopamine response. So we don't want to be fueling anything that is creating that amount of addictive tendencies in children. Now, I'm not anti sugar. I'm not saying that no child can eat sugar. It is about balance. It is about a child can be in control. A child can say no. A child is not predisposed to enjoy sweets and cakes and chocolate. They may not like them. My own child doesn't like them because he never was given them. And then when he decided at five that he wanted to try them, he didn't like them because his palate had been developed to not expect that weird synthetic sweetness that comes with them. But he does like chocolate. So he has that sweet fix without it being something that he, he needs. So our role is to make sure we understand that sugar is addictive, to understand that sugar lurks everywhere in many foods that are healthy for children, there is an excess of sugar that they really don't need. In fact, in terms of the guidelines for children, there's no requirement for the under fives because, there's, there's the, you know, in terms of the upper limit they should have, there's not even an upper limit listed. So we know that they're having too much and it's about understanding, not just me saying, well, we need to reduce sugar in children. In my recipes, there's never any refined sugar used. So I'll use maple syrup. I'll use honey flavor ones. I'll use coconut sugar. I will never use refined sugar because the biological response that the body has is different to those other sugars. And so I'm still saying we can have cakes and we can have puddings, but I'm not fueling any form of addictive tendencies coming. So we don't want to be building on the link of a treat and that addictive tendency, because then the pleasure and reward is connected to something that is considered good. So when we say we'll have sweets as a treat and you're getting that addictive response come from the dopamine, the addictive response is something that's called treat. So good, it's good, and yet it's habit forming. And we don't want to be creating those habits in children that lead with them to adulthood and have that biological physiological response when they see something and they can't have it so if they can only have one and then they have a bit of a meltdown or if they can't have any and they have a bit of a meltdown they're not being naughty it's a biological response so addictions are formed from taste expectations I've mentioned how sugar creates that taste expectation because it is highly highly palatable now, food manufacturers know this. They know it's highly palatable and they know how to put a combination, a heady combination of sugar and trans fats together to make the ultimate in dopamine response. It's a combination you would never find naturally. And so we artificially produce something that the body is like, whoa, 
and it blows our mind literally because it's something that naturally in nature we would never get those things together so there's a biological blood sugar response we get a bit of a high we get a bit of a rush of you know feeling great but it's not a natural high and so it comes with a drop and when we see children being quite irritable um restless that you know they've had the sugar rush if you like and then they kind of just go flop because they don't know what to do with themselves they've you know they they don't know how to cope biologically with all of the things that's going on inside of them and that does have an impact on their mood it can you know we hear hangry i was on the radio the other day talking about hangry children um but it's 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 true the children when their blood sugar is going up and then dropping when it drops they do get hangry because they they don't know how to cope with feeling tired and hungry and they've had this biological response to their blood sugar dropping and they don't understand that they just they just feel a bit grumpy and a bit angry and they can even feel a bit violent you know this is when I was on the radio I was talking about violent episodes in classrooms of the very young because they're hungry it massively impacts on sleep so we know that sugar sort of gives us a bit of a buzz but it's a false buzz and it doesn't help us to relax and it doesn't help us to control our gut and our gut microbiome can help us to relax and to help us to sleep. So we want children who are able to relax and sleep. We all need children who are able to relax and sleep because if they don't, it impacts on us. Um, sugar hinders that relationship they have with being able to relax and sleep. Obviously, it impacts on their weight. Now, we are having an episode um, next month on the very controversial but much needed topic of childhood obesity. Sugar is the leading contributor to childhood obesity and it, it's in different in different age groups in different guises so we, we go through kind of like the the snacking of the very young when they just seem to eat all the time so what makes up their snacks and how much sugar do they get that way to then the older children where it's more about the drinks that they consume making up the bulk of their sugar intake but huge huge impact on their future health and their future habits. So when we look at what to do with children, it's to make sure we're creating a healthy future for them and healthy habits for them. Because most of the issues I see in adults are things that have actually happened in childhood. So eating habits and linking that with our future eating habits. The brain is very complicated when it comes to food. And I do a lot of work on our gut and our gut brain or the enteric nervous system and how that's linked with our sensory stimuli when it comes to food. So there's loads of hormone processes that go on within our brain when we eat, but some foods trigger a sensory response. So you'll know everyone's had this when you see or smell something and it takes you back to a place or you taste a food and it takes you back to your childhood and it takes you to a place where it's like a food memory and that's really emotive. So eating habits can really be fueled from eating memories. And then eating habits are also fueled from this kind of association of a treat. So if you have a child who has been given a treat and it's always kind of the same thing, it's always kind of sweet, so it's always kind of biscuits. As an adult, when they feel they need some self-care or they're feeling like they're a bit stressed or we have, you know, emotional eating, so stress, comfort eating, whatever you want to call it as an adult, they'll go back to that place where they considered a food as a treat that made them feel better. And they will go back to having what was deemed as a good thing, as a treat to pick them up as an adult. But of course, it's not good 
for our health. So we have all sorts of eating habits formed by food memories, food habits, what we've always done and how we've always associated the food. And those sensory stimuli about sight, smell and taste, very emotive. Food is very emotive. Adult eating habits are formed in childhood. So as people who professionally feed children, it's our responsibility to form the right habits, to not make these connotations of food being a bribe. You know, you can have chocolate if you eat your broccoli. What does that make the poor broccoli? You know, it's the bad guy. It's got to get out of the way before the chocolate can come in. The chocolate's a good guy. What kind of food association is that? We don't comfort with food that leads to emotional eating adults. We don't bribe and we don't really, I know this is a hard one to get over, but I don't like saying food as a treat, particularly when that treat is something I wouldn't consider as a food treat. I wouldn't consider sweets a food treat, for example, because I know what goes in them and I know the response they have to us neurologically. So food choices, food habits and food memories are very hard to break, very deep rooted in terms of the neural pathways, really hard to break because there's so many emotions linked with food. And emotional eating adults will often have been comforted with food as a child. And emotional eating adults will often have been rewarded with food as a child. Well done, have a sweet, well done, have a biscuit. It stays with us as adults. Fussy eating adults, however, have, you know, there's many fussy eating adults and I pick up clients who are, you know, old enough to know better and they have these real issues about certain foods. Most of the time, 95% of the time stems back to childhood. So if they've been bribed with food, they're likely to be quite fussy and have some quirky eating habits as an adult. So it's a really fascinating, complicated an important subject. Adult eating habits are formed in childhood. So whatever we can do to remember that addictive tendencies with foods, food language, how important it is to get that right with children, to form those pathways, those really emotive pathways with food, but to form them so that they're healthy. So that's the end of this little introduction into that world. And I'll be back with you very soon. You've been listening to Louise's Health Kick podcast with Louise Massier, discussing all things health and nutrition to show you that food and health are intrinsically linked and teaching you how amazing you can feel. Find out more at www.thehealthkick.co.uk or read her book, How Food Shapes Your Child, or get in touch on social media. This is a 1386 audio production. 